Imagine a pill that can improve your focus, your memory, your sleep. A catalyst to improve your brain chemistry. Dr. Bill's Cognition Plus is truly the smarter in an hour pill. A combination of amino acids, trace minerals, and B vitamins, Cognition Plus is made with specialized herbal extracts that will enhance and support brain function. Our customers say, I feel more focused. My memory's getting better. I can work longer with more useful hours. Power up your neurotransmitters that have been depleted, like dopamine and norepinephrine. Stimulate the release of others, like serotonin and oxytocin. Improve circulation and energy production. Protect your mind and your loved ones today. Order Dr. Bill Deagle's Cognition Plus at 888-212-8871 or go online to NutriMedical.com. That's 888-212-8871 or NutriMedical.com. And listen to the NutriMedical Report on the Genesis Radio Network with open lines every weekday. NutriMedical.com, bringing nutrition and medicine together. This program is brought to you by the Genesis Communications Network, a world leader in talk radio since 1998. Visit GCNlive.com today. to have Harley Schlanger back for uh, the show today, and of course, uh, Harley will be traveling here to the U.S., but same time slot, second hour on Fridays, and Harley, you're uh, one of the primary representatives of the LaRouche Foundation, which is always very positive and not solution-based. For example, the solution to not have war with China and Russia is to have trade and to develop relationships like a, uh, how can I say it, mafia families decide not to quarrel anymore or go to war, decide to actually do business deals so everybody prospers. So the Belt and Road and these other things I think is positive, and it will reverse things like the militarization of islands in the South, uh, uh, China Sea and the Sea of Japan. I think you'll see uh, the situation in North Korea can be reversed if we can stop reciprocal, uh, you know, put forward reciprocal trade and stop cyber uh, hacking by these various elements within China. And I think that Donald Trump is moving forward with a lot of policies that I consider LaRouchean. I mean... Uh, Lyndon has been working on this and also Helga Zeppelin-Rouche on the Belt and Road for many years. That's why they received awards uh, moving the world toward a stable world, which is multipolar rather than a unipolar world is dangerous. Well, and Mrs. LaRouche is uh, in China as we speak, uh, speaking at a major conference. Last weekend I was at a conference in Frankfurt, Germany, a Schiller Institute conference where we had 300 people from 30 nations. We had speakers who were officials in government in, from Italy, from Bulgaria, from China, uh, from uh, Syria, from Yemen, from Ethiopia, as well as France and Germany. Right. And the topic was the New Silk Road. And while we were having our meeting, there was another meeting in Budapest, which is the Central and Eastern European community plus one. The one is China. These are 16 Eastern European countries plus the Chinese where they sign numerous deals. The uh, president of Hungary, Viktor Orban, started the conference by saying the power center in the world is shifting from the west to the east. Now, immediately the New York Times and the London Times said the Chinese are trying to split Europe. 
But mm, the Chinese I, I, foreign I, I don't ministry, know if it's I don't know if it's moving just moving. It's becoming a multipolar world. Just like I saw a map of all the so-called Silicon Valleys, and there's so many of them. You can actually find locations in India and Europe and China and everywhere. It's the same kind of thing. It's a, it's becoming a world that is getting many lights or many centers of power and commerce rather than just a unipolar world. So it's not well, just shifting. It's it's splitting into many different fractions, including even Africa and India. What Orban was doing was polemically attacking the people in Western Europe who are saying that the Chinese are trying to split Eastern Europe off from Western Europe because what he was saying is that the people in the West are missing out on this opportunity. Well, that's true, too. In fact, that policy was one that was pushed by a lot of the people within the European Union to not cooperate, but the Eastern Europeans were moving much more quickly toward collaboration because of the Belt and Road and high-speed rail and well, commerce. Well, let me give you a specific example. Here's a specific example. While they had this conference this last weekend, the opening of the building of a rail link between Belgrade and Serbia and Budapest was started. Now, the European Union is telling the Hungarians that they can't participate in this because it violates some European Union rules. What's the European rule, the Union rule that it violates? Nobody knows. They're saying that they can't participate. And the Hungarians are saying, you can't tell us that we can't participate in projects that will make the life of our citizens better. Well, why, and and they, can't even, they can't even lame a law or a statute or an agreement, can they? Well, they're saying that it's, it's illegally subsidized by the state and by China. But how many projects in the past have had certain amount of government sponsorship? Now, here's the important thing. This project will cut the time between Belgrade and Budapest from 10 hours by rail to under four hours. This well, is something that will greatly improve the commerce between the two countries, but also it can then go from Budapest to Vienna up into Munich to southern Germany. It's one of these projects that's sort of a pivot around which many others will take place. Right. Now, the Chinese are saying, we want to work in Western Europe as well, and, and the former French foreign minister, Raffarin, was just in China, and he said, look, France should not be so stupid as to miss this opportunity. But here's the important point. Who's opposing this development? It's the Obama crowd. It's the city of London crowd. Remember, Obama's Asian pivot was based on excluding China from any trade agreement. Now, what Trump is saying, in contrast, is we don't need some global free trade agreement. We can do bilateral and multilateral deals that don't take power away from nations. Right. In other words, you don't want blocks of nations where nations can be crossed by collaborative agreements that, do, that exclude them. And uh, this is a, the most insane, stupid thing that Barack Obama and the globalists did, is to exclude China from a nation deal. That's insane. Well, and the other part of it is that, and, and this is probably a more serious part, that in itself is completely insane, you're right. But the other thing it would do is it would take out of U.S. courts the jurisdiction to have any litigation that involves trade violations. These wow. would be taken That's into a... international courts. That's would really largely crazy. Be staffed, well, they'd largely be staffed by corporate people. So it means that you would have international courts that would act on the benefit of private 
corporate interests as opposed to national interests. So world ruled by corporate lawyers, in other words. Corporate lawyers would run the world. And that nations have no say. Because that's wow. part of what Obama, and this this is also the Bush, this is the Bill Clinton trade deals, this is the Bush senior trade deals. Virtually every trade deal since GATT in the late 70s, the General Agreement on Trade and Tariff, which set up the World Trade Organization, is aimed at removing any national sovereign control over trade terms. And what Trump is saying is that this is this violates national security interests. And he's not saying we shouldn't trade or we should only produce things for Americans. He's saying there should be fair trade. There should be equity. And yeah, reciprocal trade. And, and it would be good for everybody. Even Mr. Ma, who's a genius with Alibaba, came here. Look, for me to build 15 more million jobs in China, I need to build two more million jobs in America. I mean, the guy's got it, okay? The, the other thing, and we had Bill Still on the program yesterday, and he said, look, uh, Trump knows already, and he's already announced it even before he was elected, that if he paid off the debt with Fed, not with Fed Reserve notes, which are a debt instrument, but U.S. Reserve dollars, U.S. Treasury notes, that the debt could be wiped out, as he's already stated in his, before he was elected, uh, in two terms of office, in eight years. And the problem is, these kinds of policies are already being taken by places like China, who is using Hamiltonian uh, mathematics and, and, and the economy to actually refurbish their economy and build infrastructure. Instead, America made the big banks bigger. It made the piggies at the trough get huge, and the small mom-and-pop banks, which uh, causes a velocity of credit to drop, which chokes off small and medium businesses and new, and new technology. So well, Bill, here's Chinese one of the, are doing here's one of the yeah. ironies. Yeah. Here, here's one of the ironies that you hear when you talk to people in the United States who are whipped up against China, partly because of remembering China as a communist country and Mao and so on, but also uh, opposing the or, or supporters of free trade. What they say is that... Well, when the United States, through the Federal Reserve, and I'm talking now about a lot of conservatives, they say when the United States with the Federal Reserve prints money, that's bad. That's, uh, and they're right about that. But then they say when China creates credit, they're doing the same thing the Federal Reserve is doing. That is not true. No, it's not true. In fact, it's exactly opposite. Yeah, go ahead. Chinese credit is going directly into production. The Chinese are moving against the speculative economy. They just passed a law that starting January 2019, that investment banks in China will not be allowed to put uh, public or private money into derivative trading. So So in other words, they're they're putting in in place a Glass-Steagall-like law is what you're talking about. Exactly, exactly. So what you're saying is they're doing what Trump talked about before the election, but he's afraid of the banks which is to pay off the debt with U.S. Treasury notes rather than Fed Reserve debt notes, which the Chinese are already doing. And the Chinese are putting in a system that America should copy, which we already have in our history, and if we did, we'd wipe out the debt and bring, bill up, bring back our economy. Just for a moment on, on there. Welcome back. Uh, Harley, one of the more important points, and you showed a very uh, astute analysis of what's going on with Flynn. Now, Flynn knew that uh, the Obama sanctions were actually not only harming trade, but increasing the risk of war. War not just uh, directly with Russia, but through proxies like uh, Yemen and Iran and Hezbollah, which is, by the way, heating up like crazy right now, so there's a real danger of a thermonuclear war in the Middle East now. 
And what people don't understand, the proliferation of nuclear weapons to North Korea, Iran, and Venezuela, which, by the way, I'm one of the primary whistleblowers on the Venezuelan missile systems, there's elements within Russia validated by our hard policies like Obama that make these military elements want to prepare for war and want to deploy missile systems just like in Cuba years ago because they see a very grave danger of a rogue regime that that could do a preemptive strike against them, whether it's EMP attack or a nuclear attack. And so they're prepared for a counter-strike or an initial strike against their military bases. So war is a consequence of not working out deals, isn't it? And that's why every war is a banker war, because it's ultimately the bankers who gain some money. You know, the bankers are manipulating behind the scenes like the Fed Reserve System uh, to get more power. Uh, they don't want to have a system where America does what China's doing, to just literally pay down the debt with U.S. Treasury notes to save $450 billion a year, which will wipe out the debt by the end of the second term of, of Donald Trump. No, no, they, they don't want us to work on the Belt and Road so we have, you can literally say 10 years from now, uh, get on a high-speed rail, uh, let's say in Long Island, New York, and travel all the way through to Britain. They don't want that, do they? Well, look. Here's let's let's take a couple things that you just said and, and look at them. The reason that the Trump administration was talking to the Russians is the same reason that they were talking to the Israelis, the French, the British, the Germans, and everyone else. Right. Because incoming administrations have people who are not yet familiar to the people in other countries, and they're introducing themselves, and they're, they're talking about policy. Now, Flynn, when he was asked about his conversations with the Russian ambassador, should have said, of course I'm talking to the Russian ambassador. I wanted to let him know that we're not going to continue the warlike policies of Obama. And instead, he couldn't say that, because the Hillary Clinton campaign and British intelligence and the FBI had already made it seem as though it would be criminal for an American politician to talk to the Russians. Now, if that were the case, what about Bill Clinton's discussion with the Russians? Bill Clinton got uh, half a million dollars for giving a speech in Russia. Right, or, 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 even the, or even the hot mic with Obama saying that once he was out of office, he would be able to be do much more with Vladimir Putin. Remember that? A hot now, mic conversation? Here's the, but here's the point. These kinds of discussions are part of the process of international relations. But by making it seem as though the Russians were trying to use people like Flynn and Trump to intervene in the election process, Flynn felt that he had to lie about it. Now, uh-huh. I'm, not, I'm not justifying Flynn on lying. But what was the charge against him? That he lied to the FBI. Now the media is saying, well, what did he lie about? Did this happen during the campaign? Were they going to the Russians during the campaign to get the dirt on Hillary? So they're bringing up all the old accusations by supposition, by leak, by anonymous sources, when they still have nothing to show a Russian meddling in the election or Trump colluding with the Russians. I don't know why why Sessions hasn't closed this investigation. To me, it's going rampant. It's going off off the, uh, as they say, reserve. There's no need for this investigation anymore to continue. It's now trying to do things like what I heard is that they want to interview Donald Trump. And there's there various experts that have been interviewed to say they want to interview Donald Trump. And, of course, they'll try to ask questions to see if he makes a misstep and then said he lied to the commission or the FBI. That's what they're up to. And they don't want to say he's now colluded with the Russians. 
They're just going to say he lied to an intelligent agency or the special independent counsel. That's what I see them trying to, to warm up so they can impeach him, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and what they're actually doing is using this to prevent Trump from working with the Russians on counterterrorism and so on. So what we're dealing with here is something that was designed initially to keep Trump in the confines of the Bush and Obama policy. Now, right. another thing on that that came out just today is all this talk about Trump's about to fire Tillerson. I don't know if you heard this, but Trump had lunch with Tillerson and Mattis today. He came out afterwards and said, that's all fake news. Yeah, it is. There's, in fact, I saw the report that came through Yahoo News. It already popped up on my screen about half an hour ago. There's no intention for Tillerson to go. He and Tillerson are lockstep in policies with Russia, and Tillerson is cleaning out the uh, number of people in the department that are old holdovers from the Obama administration. Yeah. And, of yeah. course, these holdovers, by the way, were following the same policies as George Bush Jr. and George Bush Sr. and Bill Clinton, which are all yeah. basically trying to have a, a hegemony of the Federal Reserve System and the West over the entire planet. And that's not going to well, work. The Chinese and the Russians other, aren't going to put up with it. One other thing to note the rumor that he's going to be replaced by Nikki Haley or Pompeo, those are two Bush neocons. And so the idea that someone who's not a Bush neocon, Tillerson, is going to be forced out and replaced by a Bush neocon, this is part of the narrative they're trying to create to put pressure on Trump to do it. Now, all of this, you just said something that's very important. The Russians and Chinese are going ahead with this policy and it's not just because it's good for their country. It's good for the countries they're bringing in on the policy. You know, we had an official from the Italian government at our conference this last weekend. And what did he say? He said, Italy can't get money from the ports to upgrade its port facilities from the European Union. They're not allowed to spend the money by the Italian government because of the European Union restrictions the austerity policies. So therefore, how can they upgrade their ports so they can increase their, their physical economy? Right. He said that's why we're interested in the Chinese, because they're right. willing to come in with you know what, loans to do it. We had the experts uh, on the program from Italy over the last year or so, and after that big earthquake that struck Italy, the uh, European Union said, we're not even going to give you money to rebuild your homes that were struck by these earthquakes. And the people were, they couldn't get their water reservoirs and their homes rebuilt. I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding so they're going to well, make and the people electric home. lines, the yeah. electric lines and power plants and power generators that were knocked out, the Italian government had to go into uh, funding for it, and they didn't have the approval from the EU. And the EU said, "We're not giving you approval because you've already overdrawn your account this year." Whoa! This is under the Maastricht Agreement, which says you have to limit your deficit spending to three percent of GDP. Now that's based on a completely arbitrary monetarist framework that assumes that you're not going to increase your productivity and your physical production. Therefore, you have to cut. What, what, what school of economy pushes that kind of hoo-ha, that foolishness? When, that's in fact, anybody, anybody, anybody that's logical knows that if you grow the economy, your costs of doing business become less of a fraction. It becomes irrelevant. But, Bill, those are the hegemonic views in economics today. The monetarist, Keynesian, and Friedmanite views are that you cannot have government investment uh, that will because that will distort the free market system. Therefore, you have a zero-sum game. You have only so much money, and you have to cut the expenditures in order to 
uh, balance the budget, they have no idea about how you can increase the total income. You know what they need to do? They need to get a ticket into one of the 20,000 miles or kilometers of high-speed rail in China traveling at over 200 kilometers an hour. And they realize this is built by the government creating credit like Hamiltonian. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's idiotic. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Back in a moment. We're seeing a change in the power structure of the world, which may have the possibility of stabilizing uh, the world. You know, honestly, if the world doesn't come together as a collective, if you want to call being, of separate, independent, but interactive and collaborative nations, uh, the human race, if it ever has a major challenge, and I'll give a couple of challenges that could be happen, say, in the next century, a challenge of first contact with advanced beings from other worlds, which might be predatory, like Stephen Hawking said. Number two, major Changes like the Ice Age, which is a modern Ice Age we're already starting into now for the next 75 to 90 years. And that Ice Age could cause a lot of destruction of arable land and, and population shifts like it did with the Vikings coming out of Greenland. And the third area is the fact that we're having major increases in volcanism with the passage of Nibiru, Heraklobus, the dwarf star out in the Oort cloud that the Atacama Large Millimeter Array that's why, for example, the earthquakes that struck Italy are just to start. We have the Bali, uh, basically volcano, ready to blow. It's actually so bad now they can't even get planes out of there, and there's a lot of uh, Balinese, including Americans, that are actually stranded there. People need to realize it's extremely likely that uh, Vesuvius is going to blow, that the um, subduction zone off of Oregon and Washington is likely to blow, and the Ring of Fire and people don't realize the earth changes that are coming, including climatic changes and global, uh, basically the northern cooling zones are being pushed south, which creates more superstorms like the ones that struck America. We're not prepared to deal with these things or even galactic weather or even, you know, technological dangers where, you know, nation, rogue nations that are not integrated into a world system decide to use biological chemicals or even missiles. You can launch a small missile even 100,000 feet in the air with a low 3 kiloton uh, EMP weapon and knock out the power grid. So we need to harden our power grid. We need to have collaboration to stop uh, uh, terrorism, which I think we can come together in doing that. Uh, and people like Trump are actually working hard to do that with both Muslim nations like Saudi Arabia now uh, and with the Chinese who have a big problem in western China. So everybody's having problems like this, and we need to start working together because if we ever get a what I call a soul earth challenge of some kind, climatic and otherwise, we're not going to be able to handle it unless we work together, are we? Well, there's a reason that you have this whole fraud around man-made climate change, which right. is that it has two functions. One is to prevent the kind of cooperation in advanced science that you're talking about, and the other is that by attacking human activity on the planet, they're arguing for, as you said earlier, a return to a feudalism. You know, that, that instead of having modern nations and modern industry, uh, they want to break down the nation state. They want to put people back in the status of tribal uh, and ethnic enclaves that protect themselves and have 
no industry, no science, and mankind will die off if that happens. Well, yeah, they want to limit. limit it's, it's true, and they want to limit mankind's expanse. And it's not energy production that's the problem. It's the fact that when we pollute the benthic layer of the oceans, we are damaging the carbon oxygen cycle. We could upgrade the genetics of the phytoplankton and stop polluting. And then we need to deal with galactic changes that are occurring because we're in a galactic area where there's more particles in intergalactic space, increasing more rainfall. We're getting gravity waves from the Atacama large millimeter array picked up from this dwarf star in the passage of comets and the alignment of Jupiter and Saturn, which causes monitor cooling periods every 360 years. It's like a, a clock, bang, bang. Every time it happens, but what, they but what they're denying, what the, the man-made climate change people deny, is that we're part of a much larger organic universe that affects us. That the right, exactly. interaction between planets, between solar systems. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's so many aspects to it. And instead, they're saying that the, the establishment of factories and burning of coal and other fossil fuels are what's causing these changes. The fact is, is as you know, and I'm, a lot of your listeners know, we've had heating periods and, and uh, ice ages long before there was a single automobile or a factory on the Earth, long before many well, men walked the Earth. Here's the stat. The Mount Erebus in Antarctica, which is the largest volcanic uh, volcano on the planet, generates as much as 50,000 of the largest coal-fired generators. Just one volcano. So the idea that mankind is being is harming the planet like this, other than the pollution to kill the benthic layer phytoplankton, which we can easily fix, is ridiculous. The idea, though, they want to limit energy, so they want carbon taxes, not so, so it, it would harm nations. What they need to do is move toward fusion energy, <coughs> solar and wind energy, and uh, clean build and burning. So if they have scrubbers, they don't release nitric oxide that destroys the ozone layer, and they don't release pollutants into the ocean that destroy the benthic layer phytoplankton. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Well, also, when you have the higher uh, burning processes, they actually clean themselves. You don't need the scubbers. You know, the Japanese well, exactly, did some yeah. experimentation with... Uh, you mean uh, higher temperature? Uh, beginning, yeah, higher temperature, plasma, use of plasmas, mm-hmm. and so on. That's how you clean it up. You go to higher technologies. You're Instead right. of, you have people like Prince Philip and Prince Charles who... Uh, probably have sex with plants and think that plant life is superior to human life, they don't realize that plants actually need carbon dioxide. You know, well, that's what the, about, it's insane, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and of course but the whole see, there's, another, there's another agenda there. That's the point people have to get. It's yeah. not just that they're crazy. They have another they're agenda. They're evil. The word is evil, which is live backwards. Yeah, giving a comment from, for example, the, uh, the Queen's consort, you know, the Duke of, of Edinburgh. He basically yeah, stated, he stated basically he wanted to come back as a virus to kill most of mankind. He stated uh, a comment a few years ago that when England was you know ruled under I think Queen Elizabeth the first, there was only three million people in Britain, and he would like it to go back to that rather than sixty-five million now. I mean, these well, people, the reason the reason yeah. they they think that way is that their view is that there's a small group of elite who are biologically superior, and that they should rule and that the rest of the population should essentially be their serfs or servants. And it's not just this, this view toward Africans or oh, people no. from it's, South it's, America. It's, it's anyone who's not part of the elite, the, the dukes and lords and noblemen. It, exactly. It's not racial. Give an example. In two weeks I'm giving my lecture on anti-aging, and I'm going to present technology. If the doctors pick up the science I'm going to present, uh, the thousands of doctors I'll lecture to, Aging and disease will end in the next five to 20 years. 
Now, the globalists want it for themselves. They don't want it for the average Joe that's going to live 100 or 150 or 200 years. No, no. In fact, I'm going to make a statement. There, there are individuals being born this year that are going to live 200 years. People need to know that's going to change the demographics where you can have 150-year-olds doing contact sports and running corporations or running races. People need to understand it's going to change the economy of the planet. Uh, it's going to change the structure of society and even the people that sit in offices to try to help because when wisdom grows, because the biggest deaths that we have in our world, and this is a quote from the Bible, I shall send a famine not of bread and water but of the word. And the word just isn't the Bible. It's wise people like Lyndon LaRouche whose wisdom is literally the things that will save mankind from a very dark future if we don't take care of that wisdom. Let me, let me tell you how LaRouche looks at it. it it's human creativity. Which exactly. is the ultimate force, which is the aspect in man that's godlike. When we're in the energy image flux of God, density, he calls it. He calls it energy well, flux density. Yeah. <laughs> when, we, when we talk about being in the image and likeness of God, we're not talking about a physical form. We're talking about a creative force, the force that created the universe. That man has to develop his mind to be able to uncover the mysteries of nature and use them for the benefit of mankind. And by doing that. We improve the planet for all the lower species as well. Right. We, may, we don't become an extinction level. But you see, here's the, the stumbling point. I don't think man will develop those skill sets and so on unless he develops his spirit. In other words, collectively, and this transcends beyond religion, I call realize going on, we have to realize we're a single organism. We are earthlings. And if you ever went way out in space and look back at the earth, you have to say, oh, I don't see a boundary between this country and that country, although there should be nation states to have a strong world. What we need to realize is we're like fingers on a hand. You can't close your hand and solve a problem or hold a, a weapon or a means to grow food unless you actually close all your fingers on that element. Well, we, we're, we're a human race, and, and the basic point is that we are part of a process of developing the power of man over nature. And that's not restricted to the right. British elites, that right. power. Well, we're within five to ten years of the singularity of artificial intelligence, fusion energy, uh, and uh, many, many advanced technologies. That's why even the CERN is mapping out the wormholes for intergalactic travel at above light speeds. They're doing it right now. Most people think life insurance... I think that uh, what Lyndon is doing, in a sense, he's a prophet of a bright world, and what you're trying to do is give alternatives to a very dark world that many of the collaborating, we're talking about both Republicans and Democrats have created a situation I call National Surrender Day to world government. It's not a world government that's nice. It's a centralized control of power that will reduce the human population, not stop the extinction-level event effects of mankind misusing the planet, and it, and it talks about lies like the idea that the carrying capacity of the Earth has exceeded, like the Georgia Guidestones. These are all insane ideas. They're not based on science or on the nonlinear physics of astrophysics or, uh, or oceanography or anything. They're based on a, a philosophy of trying to get absolute control over the human race in the biosphere. And well, let me tell you, from, from my research, Bill, yeah. a lot of this goes back to the period of the American Revolution when the generating principle for Ben Franklin, for Hamilton, for uh, the key founding fathers 
was the idea of government working for the good of the people. Right. You know, they took this idea of the Commonwealth, which had been somewhat misused in the, the period of the uh, 1640 to 1660 revolution in, in Britain, where they overthrew the monarchy and uh, brought in Oliver Cromwell. But the idea of the Commonwealth, the common good, that was the central feature of the American Revolution. Right. And it was not some abstraction, it was a scientific conception. And this is what Hamilton did. Hamilton's idea was in direct contrast to Adam Smith, to uh, uh, Malthus. I mean, Thomas Malthus was the one who first put forward in a systematic way the idea that human population grows more rapidly than the ability to take care of it. And therefore, you're always going to have periods where people die off from famine and hunger, and therefore government should do nothing to help people who are poor. Now, Malthus... Well, uh, they went beyond a, that, a, though. They, they went beyond that. They actually are trying to assist people into the grave earlier. Well, they did kill them, exactly. The Irish potato famine was an example of that. But here's the point. Who was paying Malthus? It was the British East India Company. My, my. Uh, same as Adam Smith and Ricardo. Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations, which everyone cites as a, a great uh, uh, work, basically what he argues is that we are creatures of habit and creatures of senses, not creativity. And so the idea that we can transform nature for the benefit of man, that was rejected, except later on Bertrand Russell and H.G. Wells argued over this. And the, the thing that they argued about was whether science should be eliminated completely or whether it should be kept to handfuls of, of elites. And so this was the, the fighting issue of the American Revolution. How do we set up a nation that acts for the good of the people? Well, I'll give you an example of, uh, firsthand, because I had above top secret clearance at Missile Command, Defense Command, Space Command, etc., and very, very classified projects. And I can tell you that the America and the British have sequestered away technology that's a century or more ahead of anybody else. And that's really disturbing. We have fusion technology already, tokamak fusion reactors. In fact, for eight years I've actually mentioned it until February of 2016, uh, Lockheed Martin actually came up with a fusion reactor they could say would supply power at a size of 28 to 32 feet, uh, power for 80,000 homes. They don't want to tell you that the Chinese have already... They, they think this is foolishness. They've already signed 3,500 scientists five years ago to do fusion reactors, and the Chinese have a perfect plan to set up a colony on the moon and start mining helium-3, which they know is there. They all, all know all these classified documents because they've hacked and been able to get the documents, and they realize that the model in America and the British have to hide science away from the technology for mankind is, a, is an evil. It's not just stupid. It's evil to do that, and to literally hamstrung mankind by using technology, by, by stopping technology that would free nations to have power on little islands, uh, free uh, transportation. So let me just get to this point because I want to yeah. conclude what I was saying. Yeah. Hamilton's conception was what LaRouche has advanced with the idea of potential relative population density and energy flux density. Right. The idea that the, the, there's no limit to the relative potential population density except man's stupidity. Right. And if you actually organize a society effectively and constantly develop in Hamilton's time, what was infrastructure? 
It was dams, it was uh, canals, it was ports, it was roads. Every time you look at the United States and see the periods of growth, it was spurred by infrastructure development and at the same time a credit system that, that allowed money to go to producers. And not all producers succeed. People know that. A, a, a competent banker knows that if he's going to fund 20 projects, maybe four or five of them will fail. But maybe even 10 of them. But, but still with that, that ratio still allows you to for the bank to prosper, too. Here's a list of three or four technologies I think in the next, say, uh, 20 years to 40 years we should have in the world. Number one, we should recycle all material down to base materials. Using technology like the Japanese with high energy, uh, uh, high temperature ovens. So they can literally, literally go back to little base materials of little cubes of zirconium or, or cobalt or whatever it happens to be. Number two, we need high speed rail, not only in the surface, but high speed rail, maglev tunnels everywhere with high speed fiber optic cable, fiber optic the world, not just in space, but through the ground and through the oceans. Number three, we need to have cities where you can have green spaces and there's pods of population where people, just like, like uh, Disney pub, I, I had the idea of, of these trains that are above the ground and everybody can walk around in green space with fresh air and, and, and the effect on your mind of not necessarily feeling like you're in a cage. Our cities are becoming giant cages. And if you, if you have a large city, it can be made of hundreds of micro pods that actually are livable. We don't have that. We need to redesign what a city is. And the fourth thing that we need is we need to have an idea of near space. We need to demilitarize near space, which is getting militarized. We see the Chinese with their killer satellites. We see America last week announcing they're going to weaponize space. That's not good, is it? No, and I think if you look at the potential, and the reason I wanted to come back to the American Revolution is that Hamilton laid out specific programs centered around the idea of a, a national credit institution as a bank that did not go to private banks to market national debt, which is what the Federal Reserve does, right. but where the government directly creates treasury notes that are then distributed through the banking system for production. That system works. That's, that's what the Chinese are doing. Yes. Since 2008, that's what the Chinese are doing. Well, and, and that's what we, and we used to and, do. And that's what Trump is saying, but he was afraid to do it when he was getting elected because he knew he would tick off the banks. And when he said it at a private meeting, it was last year before he got elected, the banks literally had a seizure in the middle of the meeting. And, oh, my God, you can't do that. And of course, they lose $450 billion a year to the banks. They're leveraging our debt, which we could pay off our national debt, as he said, in two terms of of Donald Trump being in office. He can hardly get his tax things through, and a lot of it is what I call Robin Hood-type tax, where you're going to tax more certain groups or whatever, and, and 90% goes to the corporations because they get this $1.5 billion limit, and they want trigger things like this guy Cork and, and other senators. They want a trigger tax to go back up, which is going to choke off the economy. It's the opposite of Hamiltonian, isn't it? But let me just go back to the, this question of, of tax policy. Because the Hamiltonian approach is what John F. Kennedy initiated with the investment tax credit. That you give tax breaks to those industries and businesses that create jobs, that invest in physical plant equipment, research and development, and improving their workers' living. If right. you do that, you increase productivity, you grow the whole economy. And that's what Idea LaRouche has had and put forward over the years. This is a, it's, it's actually you think, simple. Do you, you think throw that out... 
Do you think that's happening with this tax bill? Because they're now wrestling with the Senate version no, and the No, I, I don't think it is. I don't think nah. it is because there are too many Republicans who just want to give a lot of money to, to their rich donors. I see that, too. I, the rich donors, whether it's big pharma, big banks, and everything. And this is why I, I see this as I call a pig in a poke. It's, it's, a, it's a tax plan to me that has too many warts on it, doesn't it? Well, if you want to have a good tax plan, you start by shutting down offshore banking. Because if you shut down offshore banking, you force the corporations to function in the country. And that's, that's a, a key starting point. And I think Trump would be inclined to do that if it were offered to him as an alternative. But what you have is people like Gary Cohn and Mnuchin who are there for the corporations. This was well, a deal yeah, that Trump it, made to get in. Well, in fact, the people he's appointed are part of what I call, the, they are swamp monsters, aren't they? Too many like, of them are. Uh, yeah, like Cohen and Mnuchin. They, as I yeah. say, they have a different growl, but they're still swamp monsters. Yep. <laughs> Sounds bad. It's worse, actually. <laughs> All Thank right. you. I'll see you next you, week, you, Bill. you brought it into focus, as I say, one of our wise men from the Wise uh, LaRouche Foundation. If we don't move forward to collaborate and to prosper... We all, as I say, like the ship in the ocean, if we all work together, we all die together. Yep. yep. Okay. <laughs> next week, then. Thank you, Harley. We'll see you next yeah. week. Take care. Bye. Hour number three, Gary Richard Arnold. Your questions are welcome. 877-317-6432. Any topic you want to talk about, just call in. Tell the board Patrick what it is. That's 877-317-6432. Back in a moment. Message. Have difficulty taking supplements? Are you searching for a high-quality, complete nutritional drink that your whole family will love? Nutramedical's life support has arrived. All of your daily nutritional requirements in one quick, delicious drink. Dr. Bill Deagle's life support is a proprietary blend of vegan protein, activated vitamins, essential minerals, amino acids, probiotics, green tea, digestive enzymes, anti-inflammatories, cancer prevention, detoxification, and much more. Your body will high-five you for this one. Life support is the best, complete, nutritious meal replacement on the market. Whether you are an elite athlete, have post-operative challenges, chronic illness, elderly, or a family that just wants a quick, delicious drink, try Dr. Bill Deagle's Life Support for optimized nutrition in one great-tasting smoothie. Just add cold water, almond milk, fruit, or anything else you like. Nutramedical's Life Support. Try our great-tasting chocolate or vanilla today. Call 888-212-8871 or visit us online at Nutramedical.com. Nutramedical.com for the whole family.